Hello everyone, I'm Matt. This is Mel. Welcome to the Mysterious. Missing. And Murdered. Uh, so this is going to be our Halloween episode. Uh, Halloween? No, it's Thanksgiving. We already did the Halloween one. This is our Thanksgiving episode. Um, which is late. Which is late. It's a couple days late. Um, illness, families, and all of that kind of got to us. So uh, apologies for that, but we're uh, going to plow ahead anyways. So this is probably going to post this week and then we're gonna just go back to our normal every other friday schedule as soon as this one's live so we're gonna act like we never missed a beat the rest of them shouldn't be delayed uh holidays just got in the way so uh hopefully we'll have some some interesting and hopefully fun or spooky christmas episodes coming up i'm not really sure yet uh but hopefully we can do some like scooby-doo-esque fun stuff since we've been doing a lot of uh darker stuff lately so uh anything to add no, I mean, yeah, we've been kind of heavy on, like, the murdered and the missing and not the mysterious. So, I mean, I like talking about true crime and I like doing stories, especially people's stories that you don't normally get to hear that normally don't get attention. But, you know, mysteries are good, too. It's in our title. So we'll we'll do some mysteries for you. Definitely. Definitely. This one is, again, a little bit heavy, but it is super interesting. And it's it's a, a, a Thanksgiving themed Um so, without further ado, let's dive in. Okay, uh, so, I'm going to go ahead and start with just the basics of what happened. Uh, so on November 28th, 1985, it was kind of a late-in-the-month Thanksgiving. Uh, this is Thanksgiving Day or night, and the Blount family, B-L-O-U-N-T, was having a uh, good old-fashioned American get-together in their uh, mobile home in just outside of Lake Worth, Texas. Um, from what I read, the, the trailer park that they lived in was kind of a... Um, suburban-ish, not suburban, but kind of an outside of Lake Worth, Texas area, Um, kind of in like a a little secluded area uh, that was wooded. So present at this Thanksgiving were Joe Blount, who was 44, his daughter and son, Angela and Robert, who were 15 and 14, respectively, his wife, Susan, uh, Joe's brother, Carl, who went by Ray. I'm not sure why he went by Ray. Um, Because he wanted to. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe I should go by Ray. Anyway. Uh, you do you. I will. Uh, and Ray's long estranged son, Mike Columbus. Michael Columbus, who was 18. Um, I couldn't find So long many... estranged, but I mean, they can't be that estranged if they're both there, right? Well, yeah, I think they, you know, it seems to me like maybe, yeah, and this is pure conjecture because I couldn't find anything really about this family just because I think it's still the 80s and we didn't have the... The tabloid culture we have now, maybe, or there just wasn't a lot, a lot of information out there. Um, right. But but the, all the articles that I read and all the sources I read specifically mentioned that they were an estranged duo. Um, okay. So they had dinner as you do, and um, Ray, Carl's brother, or I'm sorry, Joe's brother, Ray, who is also Carl. Who's also uh, Carl? <laughs> um, he went home around 5 p.m., um, you know, probably to take a turkey nap and and get up early for the following day. Um, around 9 p.m., Susan uh, went to have a turkey nap 
and again, all of the sources said she was going to have a nap at 9 p.m., which I'm not one to judge, but that just seems like going to bed to me. Whatever. Um, so the family, uh, the rest of the family stepped out of the house to do some shopping. I think they went to the convenience store to probably buy some okay. ice cream for pies or whatever. Um, but it said they stepped out and went to the convenience store or went to do some shopping. Um, I didn't know that any stores were open in 1985 on Thanksgiving, but I guess some had to be. I don't know. Uh, so anyway, while they were... They shopped somewhere. Right. So while they were gone, Susan heard a knock on the door. Uh, That's weird. Yeah, especially in this podcast. So she, she got up, she looked out the window, saw that no one was there, went and looked out the door again, saw that no one was there. And then went back and lay down and went back to sleep. Okay, I mean, fair. Fair. So, I mean, me being the suspicious person I am would not just go back to bed. But I have, you know, interesting hobbies such as this that I'm assuming she did not have, which I understand. So, Yeah, I don't, uh, you know, whatever. Maybe she just thought someone had the wrong house. I don't know. So anyway, um warning it's about to kick off and get a little heavy when the family returned from the store angela again the 15 year old daughter noticed that there was a briefcase sitting on the front porch uh somewhere on the bottom or at the top of the steps um hmm. the three teenagers were excited and uh specifically For the briefcase yes about seeing a briefcase <laughs> And they specifically like, mentioned... Like, do they have some weird briefcase tradition? I don't know, but, like, I mean, you see, like, maybe a nice briefcase sitting on your steps. I, I, maybe I am just a cynical child of a post-9-11 world, but I wouldn't be that excited about that. No, I wouldn't either. Yeah, but, um... Uh, They're like, woo, free briefcase. Yeah, so they, they were excited about it. They, they brought it inside. Susan distinctly recalls the three kids talking about how excited they were and the prospect of that there might be money or jewels or something inside of it. Um, oh, there's going to be like a dead person in there or like a head or a hand or something, right? No, it's worse. Um, so what oh, do they, oh, no. So what do they do next? They open so, the, Well, they open it. They open the briefcase and it exploded. There was a <gasps> There was a bomb inside of it. Um, who would do that to a family who just celebrated a holiday? To children! Right. Yeah. Bad. Like, bad Bad people did this. Um, so, Angela opened the briefcase. Angela, her father, and her, the cousin Michael were killed instantly. Um, Robert, who is the 14-year-old son, uh, was taken to the hospital along with his mother. He suffered first and second degree burns on 25% of his body. Um, One other person was injured in the blast, uh, 25-year-old James Walls, who was a neighbor that lived adjacent to them. He was held in the hospital overnight to treat smoke inhalation inhalation after he spent the night dousing the uh, ensuing flames with his garden hose. So he's trying to do a good thing. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of awesome. Like, he's just like, I can just imagine, like, a dude spraying a trailer with a garden hose and then having to go to the hospital for, like, smoke insulation. He's trying to help, right? Right, he's a good neighbor. He can be my neighbor. He can live next to me. Yeah, absolutely. Fred Rogers. Always look for the people helping, right? Um, Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So Susan survived, and shockingly, I don't know how big this, like, trailer was, this double-wide was. Like, my grandma lived in a double-wide in Texas, and... She lived on, like, the biggest one in a lot. It wasn't that big. 
So right, I, even the biggest yeah. ones are not mansions. Right. There's so, not a ton of space. Yeah, and they're not exactly, like, fortified things. I would imagine an explosion would rip through this thing pretty heavily. And actually, the pictures I have, at least post-fire of the next day during the investigation, mm-hmm. were, um, which are on the website, are not pretty. <laughs> like, no. it, it's shocking that she got out of it unharmed. Apparently, she wasn't even held in the hospital. Um so this is obviously really tragic. The trailer burned down. There was an ensuing fire. Um, even more so because there was really no motive about why anyone would target this family, especially in such like this clandestine James Bondy kind of we put a bomb in a right. suitcase way. Like it's not like somebody threw rocks through their windshield or like, you know, showed up with a gun. They bombed them with a suitcase bomb. Right. So like they had to come up with like make or buy a bomb yeah and like you can't just walk into a convenience store and get it and like have it rigged to set off when it's opened no and like i don't like i'm not a bomb maker but i assume that doing things like putting a bomb inside of a suitcase and having the trigger mechanism like be reliable so that when the suitcase gets opened it blows like that's not a trivial thing that's not something that right that's not something that just anyone can do that's not something that anyone can source like this is a a clearly a targeted thing well Um, especially in the 80s like pre-internet yeah like this is this is pre-anarchist cookbook kind of stuff like so it was like this was a briefcase this is super like cold war-y like so John was apparently a very skilled local mechanic. His family was well-liked in the trailer park. There was a ton of news spots after this had happened, you know, Thanksgiving bombing, all this kind of stuff. Um, it, was, it was headline news for a while. Um, everyone pretty much only had good things to say about this family. Nobody knows why they would have been targeted. There seemed to be nobody right. that would want to hurt them, especially nobody that would want to bomb them. Um, so... Well, and especially if you have problems with the parents, okay, you could see that, but, like, how much trouble could teenagers get into that somebody would want to hurt them that way? That somebody who is skilled enough and knowledgeable enough and, like, motivated enough would want to bomb them? Right, exactly. It's so, like, it's weird and it's awful. Um, So, the, the crime went unsolved for over a decade. Oh my god. So we're going to just fast forward right into the 90s. Um, so I'm assuming it went cold pretty quick. Right. Yeah, very quick. There was effectively no leads by the FBI, the locals, uh, by by, by the, but like the, the local PD, anyone. Um, so if we were making this podcast 20 years ago, this is what we would be talking about because it's, it's a big old mystery. But uh, things have happened since then. So the... The sources that I read even stated that the bombing itself matched no known FBI profiles for active bombers. So, like, a lot of times if there's a a bombing that happens or even a bomb that goes off domestically, the FBI will use things like the materials used, the type of bomb, the type of trigger mechanism, um, the type of explosives used, all that kind of stuff. And even things like like the motive and, you know, leaving a bomb on a doorstep, things like that to, to try to match crimes to single criminals um, right because these things often don't just happen one-offs uh, as one oh, right it's um, a lot of work for a one-off and not for like a dedicated like hobby right not <laughs> hobby but a dedicated interest i guess right like if somebody goes through all the work of learning how to make a bomb they're, they're probably going to make more than one like 
it, it's, right you know you don't like learn how to like you know build models and stop as soon as you build your first model car or something right it's probably the same for bombs i don't really know that much about bombs but i assume that's how bombs work making an assumption here yeah <laughs> maybe i don't know um so it actually matched no known fbi profiles for active bombers or for any bombs that had happened in the in the recent past um it was completely meltless so there was no like motive there was no um there was no threats there was no you know put notes sent to the newspapers or a brick thrown through anyone's window or anything like that um there was no bombings anywhere not nearby that matched anything to do with with this person's profile it was basically completely utterly random and senseless so or so we thought or so we thought dun, dun, dun. um so we're gonna skip ahead to 1997 12 years later uh we are in fort worth texas this time here we have a man named uh michael roy tony uh t-o-n-e-y he is 38 years old and right now he's in parker county jail awaiting trial for a burglary that happened in 1993 four years prior um okay i don't know that much about the burglary uh but i do know that um he was arrested well after the actual burglary happened. I don't know if he was caught with stolen goods or, or what happened, but he's in jail awaiting trial. Um, some background on Michael. He grew up in California in a small town about 90 miles outside of Sacramento, so a small farming community. Um, he was raised by a single mother who worked in local bars uh, and restaurants, and she and her son uh, also have a rough and tragic story. Um, she would often bring home boyfriends that would be both her and her son. Uh, when he was 15, he was attacked by one of these men with a fishing knife. Um, he, Yikes. yeah, he, he suffered some pretty serious injuries from that. And once he got stitched up, uh, he left home and moved to Texas before he even finished the 10th grade. Um, so he, he was out on his own from a very early age. Um, and from what I could find, uh, he, he lived a relatively uneventful life through the eighties and nineties. Um, he wasn't too bad of a dude. He, he had, a, I think a couple of priors, but was, was generally just, just a dude living just his some life. Guy. Yeah, just, just some guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just this guy I know. I don't know, but he was just living his life in Texas. There's nothing throughout his life, um, as a person or as a citizen that would suggest that he was even capable of murder. I've said it before. Anyone's capable of murder, but there was nothing that like he, he didn't, he wasn't a, a, like serial domestic abuser or anything like that he, so what you're telling me is that he put the bomb in the suitcase uh i'm telling you that he he might have but maybe <laughs> didn't. we'll get there um okay this, okay this so this well, you're like you're talking about how he's being held on burglary charges and all of a sudden you're like and nothing indicated that he was capable of murder and i'm like yeah, I know. we've I'm... only talked about one Instance of murder so far this episode. I know I'm being very investigation discovery with you right now. Um, so, real quick before I go on, I want to say this started with a murder, but I would very much put this episode under the mysterious category. It's a okay. sad mystery, but it's still a mystery. Um, so while he was in jail uh, around 1997, uh, or in 1997. Um, he was uh, talking to another inmate, uh, a Jack Ferris. Like you do. Yep, yep. Uh, his name was Charles Jack Ferris. 
uh, the two men were apparently discussing the bombing that had happened uh, about 11 years prior. Uh, immediately, immediately after their discussion and, and the conversation that they had about this bombing, the one that we had, had discussed, Ferris went to the Parker County authorities and was released from jail almost immediately after he told the authorities that Michael had committed the bombing. He So they didn't, like, bother to fact check. They just were like, we believe you. Now you're free. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think it was more of like, uh, he was like, hey, let's make a deal. I know something about this, this bombing. Like, remember how that was a local thing and a big deal? I know something about it. And they they responded in kind by releasing him from jail. I don't know if it was a... Um, I couldn't find any info about it, but um, all I know is that he was released from jail almost immediately after after bringing forward this information. I don't know if there was a plea deal or if they just, like, let him out on bond or, or maybe Anthony's I'd be interested to know... I don't know. Right. I'd be interested to know what his offense was. I couldn't find any info about that either um okay because like you know what i mean like if the dude had just you know what i mean like killed a bunch of people himself then maybe we shouldn't be releasing him but i mean i feel like you know he stole a car like that sucks but i mean i guess that it's forgivable oh just wait um so now this so he goes to then murder some old grannies is what you're telling me no no Jack, I'll stop guessing. Jack isn't the one we have to worry about. There's another player that's coming up that we really should worry about a little bit more. So, okay. um, around this time, it was really common knowledge that the ATF had started a nationwide campaign in 1996, one year prior, uh, to renew efforts on investigations for all unsolved bombings. Okay. The Blonde family bombing being one of them. So it's it's likely that this case was recently in the papers or on the news, and since it was one of the more tragic bombings in the area that oh, yeah, was senseless yeah. and unsolved, it was probably in the news. There was probably a reason they were discussing it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It, it was It was more than likely that it was either in the papers or on the news around this time. And they were probably talking about it because they were both in Texas and Texans and in the area. So, anyway. Right. So, after the authorities learn uh, of of you know this shocking revelation brought to them by jack ferris um the first thing they do is go to who's only but a concerned citizen correct yes he he wasn't released (laughs) from prison or anything or didn't stand in stand to gain anything right the first thing they do is go to michael tony's ex-wife um michael tony is still in prison he hasn't been charged or anything yet he's just in prison on those on those burglary charges from 1993 Um, so I couldn't find her name probably for, probably for privacy reasons. Um, I didn't look that hard, but everywhere she's just kind of, uh, called out as Michael's ex-wife. Her exact words when she was questioned by authorities were, Michael killing people in a bombing? You're nuts. Uh, (laughs) She's like, listen, I didn't like him enough to stay married to him, but like, I don't dislike him enough to throw him under the bus for like a murder of several people in a bombing. But less than a couple days later, uh, after she had a chance to research the case that they were questioning her about, uh, she called the Fort Worth detectives and told them her story. And uh, immediately after she told them whatever story this was, uh, they arrested Michael Tony in June of 1997. He was indicted for three counts of capital murder. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so to recap, uh, Michael's in jail for a uh, burglary committed four years prior um i don't has he been in jail for four years i don't know uh, i i think he was arrested fairly recently like 
Okay, so it's not like he's just been sitting there waiting for four years. No, I think he's he's awaiting trial for for the burglary charges, but I think he was um was caught with stolen goods or something like that. Like they they arrested him. Gotcha. It was it, the, it was several years after the burglary, or at least a couple okay. years after the burglary. Um, so Michael's in jail on these charges. Uh, Jack Ferris told the story to the police about Michael committing the bombing and was subsequently freed from jail. The cops interview his ex-wife, who said, who initially says there's no way he could be involved, but returns later and says mm, something. We're not sure what the story is because that was never released, but she told the cops something. Uh, okay. short, shortly after Michael has been indicted for this crime. Um, so several months later, in early 1998, uh, Ferris, uh, when he was questioned by the police again... Uh, changed his story about Michael's confession and <laughs> explained that he had made up the story <laughs> to get out of jail earlier and regretted it. Quote, Tony and me made up the entire thing. So, Am I surprised? No. Right. Um, so, this was before the trial began, but they're not dropping charges against Michael. So another year and a half passes and the trial begins in May of 1999. Okay. S- Susan and Robert... Uh, we're both there to give testimony. That's that's um that's uh, Joe Blount's wife and son. Um, mm-hmm. So Susan and Robert Blount were both there to give testimony, as was Michael Tony's ex-wife and an ex-best friend of his. Um, his name's not important. I'm just gonna like throw out ex-best friend was highlighted in many sources. Um. <laughs> As was another cellmate of Michael's. Now, Mrs. Or, I'm sorry, Miss X Tony uh, testified that he had driven them. So his ex-wife had testified during the trial that Michael had driven them and his ex-friend, who had also testified, uh, okay. to to a pro- to a propane shop near the trailer park where the bombing occurred uh, on the night of the bombing. Uh, they've gotten out of the car. Tony grabbed a briefcase from underneath a toolbox in the back of the pickup truck he was driving. What? Uh, importantly, both of them did testify that he had driven them in his recently purchased truck. She later returned, or uh, she said that he later returned without the briefcase and drove them to a na- nearby nature center where they stayed for several hours. Her testimony also included that he shot a beaver with his rifle at the nature center, which I'm pretty sure is not allowed at nature centers. Whatever. Right, also poor beaver. Right, so he shot a beaver for some reason with a rifle at a nature center. Remember, he drove them in his pickup truck and he pulled the briefcase from under a suitcase. Or from, I'm sorry, from under a toolbox. He pulled this briefcase okay. out from under a toolbox in the back of his pickup truck. Um, so I'm going to read you the exact transcript of her testimony. Okay. On, on the night of Thanksgiving, 1995, Mike and Chris came. Chris was the friend. Came to my apartment. Ex best friend. Ex best friend. Yes. Uh, came to my apartment and we decided to go fishing. We all got in the truck and went to Lake Worth. When we got there, we stopped at a propane place and Mike got out and got a briefcase out from under the toolbox that was in the bed of his truck. He walked off with the briefcase and came back without it. We then went down the road to the nature center where we hung out for a few hours until after midnight. Just before we left, there was this splashing noise in the water, so Mike and Chris went off and got their rifles out and Mike shot the beaver. Then we left. It's her exact, the exact transcript of her testimony. Okay, okay. So remember, pickup truck, toolbox, briefcase from toolbox, okay. shot beaver Dead with beaver. Rifle. Yes, dead beaver, but shot with rifle. Uh, they were there with their friend Chris. 
Chris, who also testified the exact same details. He corroborated the details that she testified during the trial. Okay. So the cellmate who testified, remember there was one more testimony from a Mr. Finnis Blankenship. Is that his real name? Yes. Finnis Blankenship. He said that Sony had uh, that uh, Michael Tony had confessed to him as well um, while they were while they were cellies together, uh, and he had been paid and that he had been paid. Michael told them that be, that he had been paid five thousand dollars for the bombing. Okay. His testimony included that the murders were part of a drug related hit, but that Tony had bombed the wrong house. So then, why did he get paid? Why would you pay someone to bomb the wrong house? What's well, really, 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 really important to note a couple things about this testimony. Uh, the first thing I'll say is that there was a neighbor who lived across the street who years later uh, came out. It came out that he was a, um, I don't know if he was selling weapons, but he was part of an illegal weapon selling ring. Oh. And he was convinced, he, he later... T- said to um, reporters that he was convinced that the bomb was meant for him. I just wanted to throw that out there. Anyway, another thing to note is that Finnis, Blankenship, was in jail because he was under indictment facing two counts of indecency with a child. Oh, well, I don't like him at all. Uh, the One of the sources that I read also noted that um, he was under indictment for two counts, uh, both of which were things that he had been convicted of before and that this was a habitual criminal charge of indecency with a child. So he's So we should just throw him in the trash. Correct. Um, He agreed to testify because the DA agreed to drop all charges against him. Oh, oh my God. Are you kidding me? Let's like, let's just endanger more children in our neighborhood. Yeah. And neighborhoods everywhere by just like letting this guy go. Who cares about the kids anyway? Right. So he wasn't biased against Michael or anything. Right, he didn't have a clear reason to lie. Uh, no. Uh, for Michael Tony's portion of the trial, he uh, testified that he'd never heard of the crime until 1997, shortly before he discussed it with his fellow inmate, Ferris. Um, he testified that he had never been to the mobile home park and had never known of its existence even. Like I said, it was in kind of a little secluded wooded area before, right. until just before the trial even began. Um, so he didn't really know anything about this, and I... I think I believe him. I don't know. So more importantly, Michael Tony um, testified and, and documents confirmed, by the way, um, that he didn't even own a truck until a month after the bombing. And there's a couple other things that will come up with later. So he didn't even own a truck okay. until after the bombing. But that evidence was uh, not allowed to be introduced because the... I don't know why. The judge decided that they weren't allowed to introduce that evidence. Because of bullshit. Yeah, probably. Um, So despite the lack of physical evidence, the testimonies of Tony's associates were way too strong. He was convicted in 1999 and sentenced to death. Remember? Oh, yikes. Texas. Right. Um, He went and uh, he he went to serve the rest of his life on death row. Um, So nearly a decade uh, passed and... Uh, the crime remained, you know, with that big checkbox underneath the solved box as far as police right. and, and the ATF and the FBI are concerned. And Michael Tony just sat on death row. Uh, like anyone in this situation, he applied for appeal several times. Um, he was denied a couple of times until additional evidence was put forward. Um, 
the finally t- nearly 10 years later um the uh appeal ended up actually going through and he was going to be retried uh his um appeal packet of of information of of evidence included several things um and i'm just going to list a few uh so remember the the bombing happened november 28th 1985 end of november thanksgiving day he uh michael tony uh didn't own a truck until december 1985 (laughs) right Uh, so he didn't own a rifle until after he purchased two hunting rifles on december 18th and 19th uh atf gun register records confirmed this by the way uh remember how he went and shot the beaver supposedly the night of the bombing right uh the toolbox mention was given to michael on the 28th uh i'm sorry on december 29th 1985 for his birthday receipt records confirmed that the uh toolbox wasn't even purchased until sometime in december so remember ex-wife and ex-best friend both testified drove a truck shot a beaver with a rifle and pulled the briefcase out from under a toolbox in the back of his truck right None of which he owned when the crime actually took place. Um, according to the national, remember they went to hang out outdoors at the national weather at this um, national wildlife reserve uh, until well after midnight. The national weather service uh, confirmed that on November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty five, it was the coldest day of November so far. The high was forty two degrees and the low was thirty one degrees, with winds whipping up to fifteen miles an hour, which doesn't sound cold because we're in the Midwest, but Texas that's pretty cold. Right, that sounds like a great night for fishing. Not right. at all. Yeah, why would you go like, like you're in you're in Texas, you're in Fort Worth, you're not going to go fishing when it's forty two or thirty one degrees out. It's below freezing. Right. Um. Uh, remember the uh, pedophile Finnis? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in two thousand one, he signed an affidavit, uh, at the behest of, uh, Michael Tony's uh, defense team. And the affidavit said specifically, my testimony about the events that happened on Thanksgiving Day 1985 may not have happened on that day. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. So basically he lied. (laughs) Yes, he absolutely lied. Um, There were several other pieces of evidence as well. Um, There was some physical evidence. There was um, a a testimony from somebody who uh, uh, may have been a credible alibi. These were just, like, the big physical indicators to me that were, like, whoa, big red flag, like, this man should not right. be in prison. He clearly didn't do it. Um, so the Texas Court of Appeals ruled that the lead prosecutor for the original trial had withheld evidence. Uh, oh, you so cannot do that. Oh, that's really bad, y'all. Right. So they had held that evidence from the defense. Um, that could have obviously helped Tony's case. The DA was actually, the DA that prosecuted Tony was actually still in office during the appeal. Uh, but he chose to recuse himself thankfully um so the texas attorney general stepped in to lead the prosecution after reviewing the evidence on september 3rd 2009 very shortly after it was decided that the trial would go to an appeal uh the ag dropped all charges against michael tony and he was freed um well he was released the following wednesday uh because he had to pay a 25 he had to post twenty five thousand dollars in bail during uh i'm sorry due to unrelated charges because he allegedly had a cell phone in his cell while he was on death row so he was i mean if you're gonna die yeah I if mean, you think you're gonna die right like like he was in jail like for a crime that he didn't commit but he had a cell phone so i guess he broke the law by having a cell phone in prison so um he still had to end up facing charges for that so he had to post bail uh 
almost a week later before he could actually leave prison. Uh, but so I know, isn't it? Um, so the uh, Tony's attorney, uh, his defense attorney, said the extensive post-conviction investigations undertaken by Mr. by Mr. Tony's defense team have produced overwhelming evidence that he was both wrongfully convicted and wrongly sentenced to death in this case. Um, all of the articles used pretty similar language. All of the sources that I read and all the things reporting at the time used pretty pretty similar language. Um, because remember, Susan Blount and and her son are still are still out there. You know, she still lost her husband and and her daughter. I mean, and, yeah. You know, and her, I mean, somebody put that bomb nephew. on their doorstep. Right. They are still victims of this crime. Um. So they're still out there. So there's you know. Especially when someone is released from prison, there tends to be kind of two sides to when it gets reported. One side is, um, you know, uh, like killer released from prison, blah. And the other side is, um, you know, wrong, man wrongfully convicted is finally free and some justice served, you know, something like that. But there's still no real justice served here because there's still somebody who committed this crime who is still out and about um, well and also you have this like pretty big injustice of sending somebody to jail who didn't commit the crime yes. and it's not even like oh well there was tons of evidence that made it seem like they did no. i mean they did a really piss poor job Prosecutor. so in that way too they also really failed the victims oh absolutely you're not helping the victims by putting somebody in jail for a crime they didn't commit just to be like look we solved your case isn't that great no, not and then, all. like this, the person yeah. who actually did it is still around. Exactly. This cold. This this case ran so cold. Like it is. It has been thirty three years since this case happened. Like the odds of them solving it now are are almost zero. They're way, but they're way, way, way less than they were back. You know, in in nineteen ninety seven when they decided to charge Michael Tony, and they had right, and they had evidence that that you know, he, he didn't do it and they chose to withhold that just to get a conviction. Um, well, I remember um, hearing, so if you guys haven't listened to the podcast In the Dark, please do. It is so good. It is a true crime podcast. It's investigative journalism and it's super awesome. The first season is on the Jacob Butterling case. The second season is on the case of Curtis Flowers and something that they have brought up is there aren't really good statistics so we don't have good statistics to turn to but it seems like it's fairly common that when somebody in prison turns in somebody else in prison for a benefit that there is a good chance they are not telling the truth yeah what would really especially with like the benefit attached you know what i mean if you're not gonna get anything out of it you probably don't have much of a reason to lie but if it's like oh yeah we'll drop all these charges and let you out like well another thing that really gets me is like i don't know if they were you know like they they went out drinking and shooting beavers that probably actually happened they probably actually someday they someday probably did that yeah right in december right so maybe they maybe they were out drinking or whatever but i like it also really goes to show how fallible the human memory is like i for sure i i don't think that that tony's ex-wife that michael tony's ex-wife and his ex-best friend were like trying to wrongfully convict him like who does that right like that that would be an awful thing to do to anyone and i i don't think after they were as questioned as hard as they were and cross-examined and everything by the defense that they would have been able to hold to their 
testimony so stringently if they actually didn't believe it like right i mean it probably was a memory it just wasn't that day and when they were contacted by police police were like oh do you think it could have been this day and they're like shit i don't remember that was years ago sure right i hate my ex-husband yeah it could have been him you know it's like <laughs> totally right there's there's a the, the human memory really really sucks when it comes especially when it comes to things that happened a long time ago and especially right, things I... that happen where beer is involved Right, and I was going to say, like, I feel like that accent is appropriate, not because of where they live, not because of any of that, but for the fact that they went out to shoot beavers. In a pickup truck <laughs> in Texas, like, in December. Uh, there's, yeah, no, the, we're, why, who shoots beavers? They're so cute. Anyway. Um, exactly. <laughs> I will die on this hill. Save the beavers. <laughs> Save the beavers. So, um... So anyway, all of the articles that I use pretty much use the, the same language, which was the investigation is still underway, but the attorney general's office has agreed to grant Mr. Tony his freedom at this time. So they're still planning on maybe prosecuting if prosecuting him if they can find more evidence, but they're going to let him go right now. It's that, pretty noncommittal. It's like saying we fucked up without saying we fucked up. Right. Um, now, obviously, because... Uh, media you know news media is is full of vultures they went and interviewed susan blount immediately after he was released um and susan said they wanted to let me know so i wouldn't be surprised um they've indicated that their intent is to retry the case but they need more time to go over all the information and evidence um now he was never reindicted. i was gonna um, say and that had not that has not happened as of 2018 today <laughs> well unfortunately um so he he uh was the ag dropped all cases on september 3rd 2009 he was released the following wednesday which was i think september 8th um on october 3rd of 2009 uh michael lost control of the pickup truck he was driving and rolled it he wasn't wearing his seatbelt and was ejected from the vehicle and died on scene holy shit no yeah less than a month after he was released from prison for God, serving that's sad. Over a decade that he, for a crime that he didn't commit. Um, and at this time, because the intent was still to retry Michael Tony, the bombing of the Blount family is still unsolved. Man. Yeah. So that's, that's the. That's heavy. That's <laughs> you the told me we weren't gonna do heavy. I know. I'm sorry. That is the incredibly unsatisfying end to this story, at least for now, probably forever. Yeah, because I mean, unless somebody says, "I did it," right? Or there's some, I don't know, better yeah. information. You just don't. I mean, there's the likelihood of it getting solved is very slim very slim i mean that that briefcase is probably like sitting in a warehouse like in an evidence locker somewhere or something or what was what's left of the bomb is probably in a in a evidence locker somewhere but this this story just like it hit me on thanksgiving because it is like it it sucks for literally everybody who was a part of it like the person who they actually convicted lost a decade of his life and then ended up dying like immediately after he was released from prison the family who who was attacked really really you know just unprovoked by a bomb and had their lives destroyed was was you know they they never saw justice either like it's just yeah the only person who made it out ahead in this is the pedophile yeah the pedophile definitely made it out ahead 
Uh, and so did, uh, what's his face? Mr. Um, Ferris. I forget his first name already. Um, Jack Ferris. Uh, so this just goes to show that making <sighs> up shit to get out of prison, like, it's That's, fine. Sometimes It works, works out okay. Sometimes that works, yeah. Um, apparently, it, it only works if you're in Texas and the ATF is really looking to prosecute and close the books on a on a bombing case that happened and... You know, there's there's probably a lot that goes into this, but it really just kind of. It also strikes me as how worthless the death penalty is. Like, like you're you're better off letting you know ten criminals go free than falsely convicting one innocent person. But man, they they like sentenced a dude to death, who. Like he, like if if his appeal, if they, if he didn't find a kind judge, and his appeal didn't go through, or he, uh, didn't get the the support of the defense team that he had, and they weren't able mm-hmm. to compile that evidence into an appeal packet for him that was compelling enough that it actually could go to appeal, he could have just died in prison. He could have he yeah. could have been like, and and the case would still be closed. Like, at least the case is open now. That is the one minuscule good thing that that could come from his exoneration but at the same time it's clear that the da still planned on on gathering more evidence and potentially trying again and and yeah i would so i don't i like who knows if this is still open or closed yeah i would be interested to see the files um i don't know what the laws are in texas but in minnesota after a case has been closed you have to release the police files um and that can be helpful, too, to see those, because sometimes you can see how much work they actually put into trying to solve the case yeah. and where their effort actually was put and if they actually spent time doing what they're supposed to do. So I'm just talking up one of my favorite podcasts today. But in the dark, that's one of the things that they talk about is that after the Jacob Waterling case was finally closed, the, the files dark. got released. And it's very good. In the dark. Everybody look it up. Uh, By EPM Reports. I'm adding it to my podcatcher right now. I hate that Excellent. term, by the way. Podcatcher? How terrible of a term is that? Anyway. I recommend anyway, Pocket Casts. We're not sponsored, but I recommend Pocket Casts. Anyway. So there you go. So you have a recommendation for a way to listen to your podcast. A podcast to listen to other than ours. And uh, I don't have any life lessons for you today, I guess. Happy holidays, everyone. I- there you go. Happy holidays. Oof.